Hello and welcome to episode 228 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we'll be reviewing the Ghostface Killers New York Minute, a.k.a. Scream 6. But first, how are you, Scott? Doing okay. I'm uh, knee-deep now in the middle of uh, crushing tape for John Wick 4 next week. I decided I was going to rewatch the first three John Wick films last night. I wouldn't say on a whim. It was something that I was tossing back and forth for a little bit because it has now been four years since John Wick 3, if I'm, if I'm doing the years correctly there. And Scott, under John Wick 1, I think I underrated it at the time is what I'll say. Um, that That is a pretty good film for an hour and 10 minutes. I think the last half hour is like a bit iffy, but that first hour, hour 10 is really great. And I, I was inspired by a friend of the pod, Jay Habib's, uh, take after watching, I don't know if he te- put this on Letterboxd or if he texted us this, but describing how he might watch, I think this was his Letterboxd review of the first film, where he says, I might use this as eye bleach the next time I have, I see a five cut uh, MCU like leg takedown or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because basically the club, the club scene in John Wick, which is like the sort of middle piece of the film, is essentially five minutes of nonstop uncut, just John Wick going absolutely ape on everyone in the club yeah and um you know it's cool i guess when's what you know stunt stunt oscar win yep you're one of many saying it um i think if they if they did invent it at this point it would simply be to just to reward john wick but maybe it deserves it um but yeah i don't know if i'm gonna get to rewatch them probably not i have a bunch of i have a couple different shows i'm doing this week and films sure. i have to watch for that so i've been watching bunch of random movies really um recently i'm, I'm hosting a uh, show this week about the top 10 movie endings of all time um so You're hosting um, so you really are yes, having to watch a lot of a lot of movies yes then. um i've had some people send me their lists who are going to be on the panel and i have had to watch some films on their lists that i have not seen so um, i'm also crunching tape i guess in a sense but for for a different purpose um, yeah no, I'm more, I'm more a noble purpose than me, probably. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no. I, I mean, I would like if, you know, if if I had nothing to do but watch movies, I would definitely get to the John Wick stuff before because I could I could use the refresher probably. But um, yeah, I, I thought I about I could... just rewatching John Wick three and then I quickly read the plot and I was like, hmm. Yeah. So I'm probably going to need to <laughs> to watch the other yeah. two for it to make any sense. I wonder. Hopefully, Screen Junkies has one of their videos out that like catches you up on everything. They usually do those. Do they still they, do those? I don't know. They had they did in the past. I yeah, haven't yeah, yeah. seen one in a while, but they used to do those videos with with Dan Merle, I believe. Um, yeah, I, I is Screen Junkies know, still a thing? Up. This is a legitimate. This isn't like trying to take the piss. Like, is that still a thing? I don't actually. Yeah, know. that's a good question. It, it it very well could not be again. I haven't seen any of their content in in quite a while. So yeah. Um, I'm sure I can find some sort of YouTube explainer out there that will will get the job done. But yeah, it's just like um, I was like, oh wow, this is like actually kind of complex. What's yeah. happening in these films? Uh, oh, just yeah. because they did such a great job with all their lore, which is I think one of the huge pluses of of the franchise. But I was like, oh, the high table and who is this and that and what? I don't even know. The world building is definitely you know it's complex. So yeah. Um, also to get it out up front, since it is relevant for rewatching the John Wick films. Rest in peace, Lance Reddick. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to yeah. mention that in the news section, but um, yeah, that's uh, that's just terrible. Honestly, 60 years old. I don't know if we've seen the the cause of death or anything, but briefly, it, I mean, th this can mean a bunch of different things, obviously, but they said he died of natural causes, hmm. which is pretty crazy for a 60 year old. I feel like. Yeah, um, that is pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, phenomenal character actor. I feel like genuinely everyone listening to this podcast has probably seen him in something before he's he's one of those you oh. know type of actors who yeah. just he pops up so often and absolutely um, you know just has one of those faces you instantly recognize like you know every every year at christmas uh christmas eve my parents and i and my my brother and my family we watch um this one west wing episode from season one uh the christmas episode from season one he is in the episode he plays the capitol police officer i mean he just he's done like a billion of those type of thankless roles over the years but sure yeah you know the john wick stuff um some of his more um you know notable roles he was in bosch the amazon well what was formerly amazon tv show now i think is on freebie still um, amazon i mean still owned by amazon but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but he was like one of the recurring roles on that. And that show has been going on for seven seasons or something now. So, yeah, he uh, was a he was a recurring voice role this past season of The Legend of Vox Machina, which is Critical Role's animated series. He was he's like one of the main villains in the second season of that show. And I, I, Jay, again, bringing up Jay Habib here, told me that he is Zeus in the new Percy Jackson and the Olympians show hmm. that's coming out. OK, uh, which, you know, loved those books as a kid. Very skeptical about that show as a thing that exists, yeah. but apparently he was going to be Zeus, which is cool. I uh, didn't realize that, but yeah, yeah very prolific so actor. Many... Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Very prolific actor. Actor, big loss. Um, yeah, I was really shocked when I heard the news, but probably uh, definitely worth mentioning here at the start of the show. Um, I mean, his so biggest stuff is The Wire and Friends. Probably just to throw yeah. those out there, obvious mm -hmm. things. But um, I know my dad was a big fan of him because my dad loves the wire and Bosch. So, all right. Uh, with that, Scott, we will, we will transition to, uh, the main portion of today's show, which is our sure. review of scream six, the second scream film from directors, Tyler Gillett and Matt Beninelli open AKA radio silence. After the traditional cold open scream six picks up with sisters, Sam and Tara Carpenter, once again, played by Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega, now living in New York and attending Blackmore College, along with friends Mindy and Chad, played again by Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mason Gooding. Since the events of Scream 5 or Scream 2022, whatever you want to call it, Sam has become the subject of a popular online theory, which in fact attributes the Ghostface killings of that film to her, given that she is the daughter of Billy Loomis, the co-killer in the original Scream film. Sam maintains her innocence, but when Ghostface starts killing again, this time in the Big Apple, suspicion towards Sam deepens, especially as Detective Wayne Bailey, played by Dermot Mulroney, and FBI agent Kirby Reed, played by Hayden Panettiere, reprising her role from Scream 4, begin their investigation into the murders. But this is the sequel, so there are also new suspects to be examined, including Sam and Tara's roommate, Quinn, played by Liana Liberato, Mindy's girlfriend, Annika, played by Devin Nakoda, and Chad's roommate, Ethan, played by Jack Champion. And of course, it's not a Scream movie without Courtney Cox's Gail Weathers showing up to stir the pot with her own brand of journalism. But as Sam and Tara try to escape Ghostface's reign of terror once more, Sam must come to terms with her father's legacy and what role, if any, she has in defining it for the future. 
Scott, the screams relocation to New York come with the suspense and witty self-awareness we've come to expect from the franchise? Or did the change of scenery leave you feeling a bit of separation anxiety? Yeah, not not the latter. As someone who has not seen Scream 2, 3, or 4, and having only seen the first Scream and Scream 5. So I, I had only seen films where that were set in Hillsboro. Hillsboro? Woodsboro. Yeah. Woodsboro. Is Hillsboro a real place? <laughs> um, that's funny. Uh, yeah, as someone Hills, who, Hillsboro is uh, where the stadium that collapsed right. in like the 90s right? that's or right, 80s yes. or 90s. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I actually think it happened around this time of year, which is maybe why I'm crossing streams there. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, anyway, Woodsboro. I have only seen screen movies that have taken place in Woodsboro. I don't know if if two, three, and four all take place in Woodsboro or not. I, I, I don't know. You'd have to correct they me do. if I'm wrong. They do. Okay. So as someone who hasn't seen as many movies in, Wood, in Woodsboro, I didn't necessarily feel like, oh, it's a screen movie. It has to be said in Woodsboro. So I didn't feel that sort of separation anxiety. I thought for a film, if you're going to have a lot of the same characters, a lot of carryover from movie to movie, and you're going to have ostensibly the same villain. I know that it's different under the mask, but Ghostface as the villain it's not a horrible idea to just to change your setting a little bit and give you give yourself something new to play with. And I think they do a pretty good job of playing around with Manhattan. I mean, Scott, not to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to be the same in 2023 as I was in 2022. It is it is unethical what they are doing with trailers. The fact that they put the subway sequence in the trailer makes me want to murder they a studio executive. Like 20, 30 seconds of the subway se- sequence in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, fair. They, I mean, they didn't put, obviously, they, just because they put it in the trailer doesn't, didn't mean they ruined the whole thing. But I was like, if I hadn't known that was coming at all, that would have been even crazier, um, I think. Because that is such a good, I mean, I've never had the lights go out for so long on a, on a subway train before, to be fair. But it was such a good, a, such a good set piece, such a good sequence there. Uh, so I think that they, they did play with the more, urban environment quite well so i didn't feel any separation anxiety on that front but there's definitely some things where i don't know what they're doing with this movie <laughs> i have no idea what's going on some of the time um they take some pretty big swings i think with the plot to say the least and they definitely sort of gloss over certain bits but i had a good time like i'll be honest i was entertained i thought the movie was too long i thought it should have been 20 minutes shorter um, which is maybe a refrain that we go to a lot on the podcast although less so recently, I feel like um, I, I did see a take recently that every movie should either be shorter than 100 minutes or longer than 160. And anything yeah. in between is a waste. I don't well, I don't I don't totally agree with that, but it feels like we're going that direction a little bit with movies. Yeah, um, de- definitely. Definitely don't agree with that. But I think that that is born out of the idea that if you look at historically most 180 plus movies, like 160 plus movies, I guess, if you want yeah. to expand to that. They're good movies, like they're really yeah. good movies in some instances. They, they like, justify you know, a lot in of some their cases, existence. like some of the greatest movies of all time. Like there sure. are not a whole lot of stinkers in the 160 plus range. But yeah, do you want to go ahead and, and shiv Babylon while you can? Yeah, I was going to say right. that there is yeah. one that immediately comes to mind. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, th- that that funny joke, I, I do think it was mostly a joke, but I thought it was funny, and I don't I don't agree with it, but I don't disagree with it either. Like that sounds like a pretty like if I had to trade in all the middle ground movies and then get either something that was less than 100 or more than 160, I'd be like, that's OK, sure. Why not? Um, I do think that this film could have been under 100 minutes. I kind of felt I mean, how long was 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 Scream last year? The Scream uh, 2022? I think it was probably between 100 and 110, I would say. It was 114, according to this. And I'm pretty sure I thought okay. that film was like one scene too. Long. I think I remember on the podcast, like I thought that was there was like one sequence too long in that film. Yeah, maybe. And I kind of feel the same about this film. 
So no, maybe no surprise there. The, some parts of the returning cast, I mentioned the returning cast earlier, are great. Some parts, I think, are less great. Although I will say, I guess, rather than being coy, Jenna Ortega is the real deal. Like, she 100% is. Like, I, oh, I yeah. see her in a movie, and I'm like, I guess I should go watch Wednesday. Like, I guess I should probably just go watch Wednesday at this point. Um, in spite of the fact no. that she apparently... Even she doesn't like it, yeah. <laughs> everything about it. Um, but she is she is very good. And Melissa Brer, who I was very down on in Scream 5, if I remember correctly, I thought she was better. I did think she was better in this film. I still think she's not... Like, she's being overshadowed by people in this film. And even if it's her best of the, you know, three performances I now know her from between this and In the Heights and, you know, the first, Scream 5, I think this is probably her best performance. I still think that she's probably not wearing, you know, the mantle of the Scream franchise as the sort of central character and up to the extent that I would maybe hope for. If you ran up the supporting cast, I don't know how any of them are alive, frankly. I was just starting to listen to the Big Picture podcast on this episode scott i don't know if you've listened to uh chris ryan i cannot and... get it to come up in my feed for some reason on spotify no. like it, so it is not updating but i've seen that it has like fantasy's sister and all this it, does, really it, it does have sean's sister and it has cr on it and uh -huh. he's sort of sinking his teeth into a take that um that i think i i think i agree with and to and to share it is just like it's not only true of the protagonists of the film but also the ghost spaces it is crazy that these people are able to recover so quickly from one, the amount of stab wounds that they receive, uh, but also two, just the physical brutality that even go that even the ghost face characters endure, like getting knocked over the head by like, it's like the knife, like the knife holder or whatever, like the wooden knife holder in one scene to like getting the absolute shit kicked out of him by um, Gail Weathers. And in, in the one scene, even though he does get a, like ghost face gets away or it's just like nuts how like, you see these people and they're like look completely unbruised because I mean, not to spoil who the killers are, but they are people that you meet through the movie and like the amount of abuse that they have taken in trying to kill, you know, the core four, if you will, they're not showing any of that abuse and they're recovering quite quickly from some pretty concussive blows, I would say. And that's not to even mention the number of times that some of these people have been stabbed and very quickly recover from. I mean, Jenna Ortega, well, I don't know what she's made of, but she's made of stern stuff is what I'll say. She was like stabbed like 19 times in, the, in Scream 5. I'm pretty, like, right? Like she was like in yeah, the hospital yeah. in a wheelchair. She gets mm -hmm. stabbed pretty gruesomely several times in this movie. And like, I have no idea how she's still walking at all. Um, and I think that is, it's starting, there's some part of it, amount of that, like with a lot of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to equate this to superhero movies briefly, but like there is a, there is a certain level of suspension of disbelief that I think you need to have in either supernatural horror or like, action adventure superhero films where you can't you can't be take anything too seriously um but i think that scream is starting to strain my credulity a little bit in what is realistic and i and i think that becomes an issue when it's distracting me while i'm watching the movie so my question would that. yeah well my question would be i guess um how much of that do you think maybe it's kind of multiple layers to how much of you think how much of that, if any, do you think is like could possibly be like the built in satire in all of these movies of horror movies? And the fact that I mean, Sc Scream is certainly not the first horror franchise to have characters that just, you know, pop mm. back up after suffering horrifying injuries. You know, do you think that is part of the satire, perhaps? My other question is, you know, the sort of self aware, self referential stuff in this movie is largely about this being 
you know, a franchise, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to throw out all the rules, right? Because it's a franchise now. Um, you know, how, do you think that in any way this could be a commentary on the fact that in franchises now, no one is dead? Like, you know, th this is true across many of the major movie franchises nowadays. We've commented on it in the past. Legacy characters are popping back up for no reason. Um, my my only movies. response to that. Heck, heck, they even do it in Scream 6, right? Like with Kirby coming back. Yeah, I know you haven't seen Scream 4, Scott, but Kirby dies in Scream 4. Um, well, I mean, you know, she, again, she is. I'll let you on the stabbed. secret. She did not die in she Scream is, 4. <laughs> well, look, she is brutally stabbed. She is yeah. assumed dead, um, you know, and, and now she's back in this movie. So, sure. you know, they're they're doing the same sort of thing as other franchises are doing. I, I, I guess I would just float the idea because I, I, you know, my initial reaction was the same as yours. But then in thinking about it more, I was like, could they be like, you know, trying to do something more substantive with this? Yeah. I, I mean, look, there, there's a whole sequence early on in the movie where Min, is it Mindy? Um, mm -hmm. Jasmine Savoy Brown's character, who Mindy. is the oh, sorry, what was that? Yeah, Mindy. Yeah, she she's the person. You know, I forget is she, what's the character's name that does it in the first film. Rand, Randy, Randy, who is her uncle or whatever. Yes. Um, you know, she's the Randy of the last two films and whatnot. And she goes through all the rules and she brings up the franchise point that you're talking about. She explicitly even calls it out, Scott. And here's the reason why I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit lost on, or maybe hesitant to take the perspective or or the take that or, or, or sort of adopt the take that you're putting out there is because in that she's talking about it's franchises and even in franchises these days the lead characters die she mentions luke skywalker dying in the franchise she mentions several like a handful of different characters main characters of franchises who die for them to live on and i'm not saying that it can't be satire i just think that um the powers that be at paramount might want their characters to stick around so that they can continue to advertise their films as having let's say jenna ortega or melissa barrera in the next film and the next film and the next yeah. film i'm not saying that there isn't some element of satire in that but i do think that they really don't want their lead characters to die because they really want them sure. to be able to market them into the next film that's obviously the more pessimistic take or more negative take and yours is the more positive you know, maybe there's some element of that i just hesitate because they they even call that out in the beginning of the film and sort of disregard it anyway yeah, no, I think I, I do think I land somewhere. And if they are, you know, trying to do something more intentional with it, it's not very well executed because of some of the points that you're you're raising. Um, I mean, I, well, I'll I'll hold off on this point until we get into spoilers a little bit, just because um, it's kind. Of, I, I do want to talk about certain things that happen to certain characters in relation to what happens in Scream 2 as well, which this sure. movie is borrowing. Which obviously this. From. Yeah, this movie is definitely trying to. Simulate and even says so um, in the in the film. Yeah. But, but I mean, look, overall, just to wrap up my high, higher level thoughts before we get into details, I still enjoyed this movie. I had a great time watching it. Again, there's caveats to that. We'll get I've talked about some of them already. Maybe we'll get into them in more depth later on. But overall, I was entertained. Yeah, Scott, it's a fun movie. Um, all of the screen movies are fun, in my opinion. Um, I, sure. I just think, you know, this franchise has it down in terms of how to make a fun slasher movie um i do think that i do have some issues as well with the story direction i think it's a little bit less successful than 
Scream 5 probably. Um, And most of my issues, I guess, have to do kind of with the Melissa Barrera character, Sam, which, as I kind of alluded to in the plot description, you know, and this was teased, you know, at the end of of Scream 5, you know, she, obviously we learned that she's Billy Loomis's daughter pretty early on. And then when the, you know, the killers are being dispatched, she stabs them a, a lot of times and seems to be taking some sort of pleasure out of it. And, you know, indeed, after our cold open, we like see her going to her therapist. She is like confessing basically to her therapist that, um, you know, I, what, what do I do about the fact that this kind of felt good when I was doing this? Um, and I was like, okay, great. Like, this is interesting. This is a direction that we have not seen in the Scream franchise before. Like, you know, we're talking about our our lead character, ostensibly, our, our hero, our final girl, our Sydney of this, um, you know, particular era of Scream. And she is now having, like, this darker impulse within her. This is an interesting direction to take the franchise in. By the end of this movie, it seems like they're kind of just done with that plot line. It seems like, you know, she has decided, I mean, in this, I guess we're getting into somewhat spoilers now, but she has decided to resist the, um, you know, urges that she feels whenever, like, because, you know, again, it happens in this movie, we see Billy popping up, we see Skeet Ulrich, he has, like, she has these visions of him where he is, like, encouraging her to follow him follow in his path basically as a killer and she seems to be drawn towards him in certain instances um again the the final dispatching of the killer in this movie is somewhat brutal at the hands of sam and um the whole film is very brutal that's something that we didn't mention very brutal film in general but then the movie kind of ends with her like dumping the ghost face costume and being like this ain't my life and it just feels like a strange place to do that in the second movie, right? Like, you know, there's going to be another movie. There's going to be more movies, I'm sure. In I mean, this know, thing's in crushing this the box office with I mean, these this characters. Is, this is the yeah. best film so far in the franchise in terms of performance. Yeah. Um, like, I, I don't. I guess I don't really get why. You know, they they tease this at the end of Scream Five. They start setting it up like, hey, you know. We're, we're really, you know, this is going to be the next storyline going on here. Like, this is going to be like the recurring arc of this character. And then by the end of the movie, it just seems like I'm kind of done, you know, w- with all the Billy Loomis stuff. Like, what are they going to do in the next movie? Like, I'm sure there's other directions that they have in mind for the characters. But I just thought that was an interesting setup that they didn't even really do anything with. Um, I also Do, you, think do most- you really think they're done with it? I guess my take is that I don't really feel like... They're not, they're, they're not done with this. I mean, m- maybe so, but if they revive it again for the third movie, it's going to feel kind of forced, I guess, is my... Or they better do um, something a lot more with it. Perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I want to see her go, like, full villain mode, is what I'm saying. Like, I, I want sure. to, like, see her go, turn to the dark side instead of this, like, waffling, wishy-washy stuff that, you know... We have kind of gotten we you get throughout this movie. I also think Melissa Barrera, I don't know. Um, I don't think she quite sells some of that more heavy lifting that she has to do. Um, I, you sure. know, I'm talking about that therapist scene, for example, with her. I mean, that's one of the worst scenes in the film. Just brutal stuff. Yeah. 
Well, she, yeah, I mean, like, I was not convinced at all. When she's going on her little monologue about, you know, again, that she felt good when she was doing this or whatever, like, I was not convinced. Like, I think, I don't know, something about her is a little too sanitized, I think, to be able to pull off this, um, you know, edgier character that they want her to have, this edgier plot line that they want her to have. Like, I didn't really believe very much throughout this film that she was actually feeling that Billy Loomis urge, despite what the movie wants me to think and what the movie's telling me. Um, and I do think some of that comes down to her performance, unfortunately. So those are some of my problems with the movie. I did have a great, good time watching it. As I said, I do like a lot of the parallels to Scream 2. Um, you know, um, obviously Scream 2 is set at college. By the way, I want to amend my earlier statement because Scream 3 actually is set in Hollywood. It's not set in uh, Woodsboro. It's oh, on the okay. movie set of the filming of one of the stat movies. But um, that's the one I haven't seen in a long time because it's my least favorite. But anyway, so that, this is not the first time they've gone out of Woodsboro, but it's been the mm -hmm. first time, in, you know, a couple films now. Um, but Scream 2, they go to college, right? We introduce these new characters just like we do in this movie. There's like the central friend group. You have the returning character, which is Randy, right? Um, he comes back in Scream 2. You know, obviously the stand-in for Randy in this movie is, as you've said, Mindy. It, to some degree, also um, Mason Gooding's character, whose name is escaping me for a second. But um, the, the both of them, because, again, they are related to Randy. Um, Chad, right? It's um, Ch yeah, it's and, Chad and Mindy. Sorry. Yeah. Mason yeah. Gooding and Jasmine Savoy Brown. But this is part of what you're talking about with the, and we're, we're talking spoilers at this point. We're you sure. know, deep fish into it. So, yeah. um, you know, they are both presumed dead, like before the final struggle of this movie happens. And you've kind of just forgotten about them. And indeed, like Randy dies in Scream 2. Like he dies. He has never come back to this point. Now, I'm sure it's going to happen at some point, but... <laughs> um, you know, Randy's character, Jamie Kennedy's character dies in Scream 2. So obviously it would make sense for them to do the same thing because they are following a lot of the same beats as Scream 2 in all other regards in this movie. Um, but they just kind of come running in at the very end. Like after, after everything has been resolved, you know, the, we're at the ambulances, um, the killers are dead. Sam and Tara are safe. It's like, oh, hey, here come Chad and Mindy. You thought they were dead, but actually they've survived. Um, and I don't know. It, it, I kind of like had some questions. I, again, I do think it comes down to what you're saying of like they want this like they want to keep this central like friend group intact, I guess. Um, because Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mason Gooding also have a lot of charisma. Like they are good characters and yep, great supporting in this movie um but it's like you know again for a movie that is very self-referential -refer and and self-aware about what it is and the fact that it's following the same beats as scream 2 it just feels a little like it takes me out of it that they then decide oh but this time we're not going to kill the randy character seemingly for no other reason because then because they want this character to be in future movies for you know uh, financial reasons um mm -hmm. so i feel a little bit iffy about that i guess like you know the screen the other screen movies really did not have that much of a, a hard time introducing 
new good supporting characters with each movie, right? I mean, Randy survives the first movie, but, um, you know, um, no one else does. And, you know, no one makes it out of Scream 2, really. I mean, I get, you know, you do have Sydney, you have Dewey and Gail who are there throughout the entire um, franchise. So I guess you do have those recurring characters. But, I mean, you know, just come up with some new characters. Like, but I guess no, that's no one, no one of significance died in this movie. And that's yeah, the thing that that's, I what, I, that's what I'm saying. And yeah. in every other Scream movie, somebody of significance dies. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's a little the, st- odd, the stakes ultimately felt pretty low. Yeah, or I shouldn't say that. I, that's not true. At the end of the film, I feel like moving forward, the stakes aren't high anymore. Because well, before it, that, I thought, I thought, I mean, I, th- I'll be honest. Like, I thought, I thought Chad was definitely dead. Um, yeah, like yeah. no doubt dead. Maybe, maybe Mindy would be alive, but like Chad, definitely dead. Um, oh, and the no. other thing, obviously, is like that they are setting up a romance between him and Jenna Ortega, and sure. right as they like kiss for the first time is right after that is when, uh, you know, he gets whacked. Um, but. You know, again, like I would have been like, OK, cool. If they had actually let him die, I was like, wow, that's, that's actually some real trauma br- to deal with. That's a brutal moment. Yeah, that she is going to have to like deal with in the future. But yeah, I mean, if in that regard, it feels like the middle movie in a trilogy, right? It feels like the Halloween kills or something where it's like, <laughs> what was this all for in the end? It's I, did, a, I enjoyed know. this more than Halloween kills. But yeah. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm mentioning a lot of critiques here just because I think those are the interesting discussion points. But again, I do really enjoy I do really enjoy the movie and I do really like enjoy the way that they are able to follow the beats of Scream 2, but still kind of keep you guessing. I mean, they did the same thing with Scream Scream 5, right? Like they're telling you the whole time, oh hey, you know, it's the boyfriend again, right? Like it's the same, this is literally the same thing as Scream, you know, one. Mm-hmm. But and it is the boyfriend in the end. It is Jack Quaid. It is Richie. But you know, you are still guessing throughout the entire movie as to who it is, uh, because you don't really know whether the movie is being sincere with you or not in that regard. You know, and again, if you've seen Scream Two, you know who the killers are in that movie. It is you know the the new friend Timothy Oliphant's character, and it's also um, Billy's mother. So, you know, you know, there's going to be some sort of family family. element to this. Yeah, I don't have friends. I've got family. Again, the movie does not hide the ball. Like it is a family, you know, there's there are a family of killers in the end. Um, And, you know, again, it is also we have like, again, you have the Timothy Oliphant character who was a new introduction, somebody they met at college. Same situation here. You have, you know, Jack Champion, you have Liana Liberato, the two of them, new characters, you know, people that they know from college, and they're both involved. So in spite of that, you know, you are still trying to put the pieces together this entire time. And I I enjoyed that. Like, I, you know, I kind of thought that um, perhaps um, Quinn was going to be in on it. and, and um, and her father obviously but i think that the jack champion ethan element of it is maybe the more unexpected part of it because all you're told is like the brother died right like you're told about the that that um quinn's brother had died at some point 
Um, but so plot twist, never, she had two brothers. Yeah, you never really right. You don't you don't hear about that. You don't expect like that. Like it it, it see they do a good job with the Ethan character of like making you think, oh, well, he's like the guy who's so obviously suspicious. It won't actually be him, right? Um, and then on the the subway sequence, as you said, like, you know, he's there, like, trying to to keep out, you know, watch after Sam. Um, and no, not Sam, Mindy. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, so you think, oh, well, it obviously can't be him because, you know, he's here, he's helping out while Ghostface is attacking. Well, there's multiple ghost but faces. As always, you should be able to put that together. Yeah, yeah. but um, still, they they do a good job, at least with the Ethan element. I think of of not leading you to suspect that he might be involved with this. Um, so yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I think it, you know, does the whole sequel thing well. Um, like the the plot beats for the most part, the storytelling, you know, of the central killer story works it's the other pieces of it you know again what they're doing with the supporting characters what they're doing with sam mm -hmm. maybe maybe not like again it seems unclear at the end of this movie what they are doing with her um that didn't quite come together for me and you know make the movie not quite as successful as its its predecessor um, I, can, I can only like what I'm picturing for like what what radio silence I'd imagine and who's writing. Oh, yeah, right. James Vanderbilt's writing these movies. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy that James Vanderbilt is writing these. Movies. Although he's had such a varied career. Maybe it shouldn't be crazy. He has. Yeah. Um, I can only imagine that that team of creators wants to go in a direction where th what you're talking about, that theme that you're describing of like that dark side pull for Sam. Like that must be what they want the focus of Scream Seven to be, and why they probably so desperately want um, Nev Campbell to come back is because I feel like really the relationship between Sam and Sydney, Sydney is yeah. how you would explore. I think that that ultimately, and it may have been something that they wanted to make a bigger deal in this film, but they really felt like they couldn't do it well enough without Nev Campbell as a part of it, and she refused to be a part of the film based on the pay package that. Um, she she was offered so maybe they can work it out into scream seven and i think that would be that i could i could picture that being a way that they could effectively explore what you're describing but it certainly felt like it was kind of half-baked or an afterthought in this film yeah i guess you know the more we talk about it, the more i think about it my ultimate complaint with it is that it it actually doesn't seem like they moved it along at all it seems like maybe where we yeah. end, end up in at the end of this movie is the a same place that we end up yeah. at the end of the first movie like she's um, rejecting it but does that that doesn't mean it It doesn't feel like that means it's over yeah. to me at least yeah but again I, i'm not really convinced by the rejection partially because of sure. her performance largely because of her performance right. um but let's talk about some of the other performances scott on that sure. note um you know, you can talk about Melissa Barrera. Obviously, you said, you know, you felt she was stronger here, but um, everything's Melissa wrong. Barrera. Yeah, you have like, again, they're yeah. they're going very hard with the central quartet of characters like being a thing, yep. um, which is something that is different from the you know original screen franchise. You didn't really have that again. You had Sidney, Dewey and Gale. Um, but, you know, Melissa Barrera, Jen Ortega, Mason Goody, Jasmine Savoy Brown. Do you like them all? 
Yeah, I, I do like them all. I mean, I have my critiques of of Melissa Barrera, who I do think was, I mean, I, I'd have to go back and listen to the tape, I guess. But I, I feel like I was pretty negative. I was pretty negative her on In the Heights. I'm pretty sure I was negative on her in Scream, <clears throat> Scream 5 as well. And again, all I can say is that I think she was better in this. Maybe she's feeling more comfortable with the role. But yeah, like the, the sort of emotional nuance involved with your sharp. I think she's still she is still lacking, I think, the ability of her counterparts or maybe specifically just Jenna Ortega. I don't think that Mason Gooding or Jasmine Savoy Brown are really asked to do anything on the emotional range of of what she's being asked to do in the film. And that's fine. Uh, there's no need for every character to go through those sort of emotional arcs, especially in a film like this. But I don't think that she's delivering as well as I think you might want her to. But it's also, I think, hard when you have Jenna Ortega, who I think is a real star next yeah, to her. Yeah, that's the problem. It's just a weird dynamic that like Jenna Ortega is clearly like the biggest star out of all of them. But she is like the secondary character. Is, like, is, is she, Are they going to big time? Are they going to big time Sam in the next film and make a and make her and make Tara the, the main character? Um, it'd be interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many, like how many movies these people had deals for, but like Jenna Ortega's like price tag must be like skyrocketing every movie mm-hmm. uh, to keep her in these things. Um, and frankly, by based on the returns, she can deliver for you. Uh, yeah. not, not, not a problem for Paramount to keep shelling out that cash for, for Jenna Ortega. But look, I, I think the way you described it was for, at least for Mason Gooding and Jasmine Sully Brown, it's like, they have a lot of chemistry and a lot of charisma. And I think that they add a lot to round out this sort of central quartet, that you're, the core four, as they call themselves, in the film. Because, yes, Sam and Tara have that to an extent as well. But I think that they they add a level of charm to the group um, that I think makes you root for them even more. I mean, frankly, I think in a standalone, if, like, maybe this is not a hot take and it's super obvious, but like in a standalone film, like, I probably wouldn't care that much about Sam, to be honest. Like, I don't think that I would. I just don't think I'd be that invested in her yeah. character. And Tara, who had a pretty secondary i mean she had more of a role in this film than the last film but in the last film like she wasn't there that much she wasn't really she was like in the hospital most of the time exactly i mean she was in a wheelchair and i know that i mean one of the set pieces i think in the film is they're trying to get her out of the hospital yeah that's Um, when doing gets killed yeah exactly yeah so she was a she was a relatively minor character in scream 5 she's definitely a bigger deal in this film it wouldn't surprise me if they continued to elevate her but i think it's really important to have characters like jasmine silver around mason gooding i'd even say that extends to annika i think devin nakoda who plays Annika, which is Mindy's girlfriend in the film. I think she adds uh, some charm and charisma to that group as well. Um, Jack Champion. I, I mean, obviously, he's a villain. doesn't matter. He's out of the picture, maybe. I mean, who knows if he's that? I mean, may, who knows if a TV to the head really kills you in this franchise anymore? Yeah. I'm not sure. Well, but... it did kill Stu. Stu has well, not come saying, back yet. Yeah. I know. I'm saying anymore, though. Like, I wonder if it doesn't yeah. kill people anymore in this franchise, because I'm pretty sure 19 stabs killed people before in the franchise, but apparently it didn't yeah. in this film. Anyway, I think that I mean, that whole dynamic. I mean, obviously, he's out of the picture. And so, I mean, frankly, so is Annika because she had her head bashed in on a on a dumpster uh, after falling six stories or whatever. So that she's not an issue either. But I think that, that she added a level of charm to that group that I think really worked. Um, you know, some of the other I think the other characters, who, you know, obviously, there's Ethan, 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 who's played by Jack Champion. You mentioned Liana Liberato, who plays Quinn. Th- they felt like oddballs in this group, in my opinion. And so maybe well, it makes we- we understand, we understand why, why. exactly, yeah. and we understand why at the end. But I, I do like that what they're doing with that central group. It works for me. I still wish that that I felt like there were some stakes um, with their lives in the film, and I think they're going to have to convince me in the next film that there still are because right now I'm feeling like there isn't. 
And, and that was true in the last film too. Like, I think, I don't know about Mindy, but I'm pretty sure Chad like had a serious run in with Ghostface in the last movie and didn't die. Although I could be wrong about that. Um, I remember him I being so, like out yeah. in the yard or something, getting attacked, I think. Yeah. 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 It's like a, it's, it's very similar to who is it that gets killed out in the yard in the first movie. Anyway, it, it's similar to something that happens in the original screen. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, there's um, what's your face in the, there's Rose McGowan's character in the, in the garage. garage. Yeah. yeah. Tatum. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's Maybe I'm the... mixing my, Oh, it's the, it's here. the, it's the, it's, um, it's Gail's like other person in the van or whatever in, in the first. Film. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It doesn't well, matter. He get... He just gets shot. He just gets killed in the van, right? Anyway, yeah, go on. He he gets killed somewhere. I don't know. His blood's like running down yeah. the windshield. He's like on top of the van or something like that. Yeah, um, pretty sure anyway. he gets killed in the van. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I um, I yeah, I I I, I like them. I'm glad that they're still around. I, actually, the way that that Sean Finnessy's sister described it is that like I didn't want them to die, but at the same time, I feel like they kind of like all all logic pointed to them dying in the film and so i feel some sort of like level of dissonance about it like i like their characters i'm glad they mm -hmm. didn't die i feel like they probably should have died uh, at the same time i mean, but i enjoyed their performances yeah you love randy in the in scream 2 like he's he's the fan favorite character and that's why sure. he comes back for scream 2 but he dies so you know to your point there i i guess don't you know, make the same mistake twice is what they're telling you we, you got a character that you like. We don't kill him. But but scream, but again, Scream was completely fine, even with Randy, you know, having been killed. It it, it does sure. feel like, sure. you know, if they're not doing it in a knowing way, which again, they're, it doesn't seem like that was executed well enough. It does seem a little um, lazy, I guess, to just bring them yeah. back because people like them. Like, yeah. we, we need to have some stakes. I mean, Courtney Cox is the same way, right? Like, Gail, like... I don't have as much attachment to Gail Weathers as I'm sure diehard fans of the franchise will. But seeing her back, I'm just like, do, I mean, do we need her back in this? Like, do we need her back for this movie? It seems like somewhat obvious what they're trying to do, but then they don't actually do what you're expecting them to do because yeah. they set this up as like, it, it's it looks it seems pretty clear in the moment that like, oh, this is going to be the final stand sure. for for Gail, right? Like, totally. She is on the phone that, you know, we have this sort of fan wish list moment that gets checked off here of Gail finally speaks to Ghostface on the phone for the first time, something that's never happened before. Ghostface even goes on and says it on the phone. Um, yep. And then she gets in a knockdown drag out fight with, um, with Ghostface. It's like, again, the whole time you're expecting she's gone. And, you know, she gets like a final message to Sydney even, right? Like she, she says like, you know, tell Sydney that, they never got me or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's like, this is the moment to send her off, right? Like Dewey died in the last movie. It's like, okay, we're slowly, you know, getting rid of the legacy characters. We really want to make this about the new group, but the same as everyone else, right? In the end, we find out, oh, well, she still had a pulse, whatever. She is still alive. Um, and presumably to return in the future of the franchise. I, I don't I don't necessarily love that, Scott. I, I don't I don't know that there's anything left to do with this character. Again, the the setup for this is she is basically playing the exact same person that she plays in Scream 2. I get bringing her back again to give her that scene there, to give her the call with Ghostface, to give her the moment with Sydney, um, message to Sydney. But she's still alive. What are they what can they do with this character going forward now? Like I I 
I just don't. I don't Cause she, really. Cause she had her they, moment with Nev Campbell in the last movie. Like they had, yeah, their unless sort they of, bring Sydney back somehow um, in the future, which I guess, you know, maybe they'll back up the Brinks truck for Nev Campbell for the next movie. But um, even still, even if that happens, like you said, like we kind of got that in scream five, like I'm just ready to move on from Gail. Like she's a great character, you know, loved having her in the franchise but like but this is also this speaks more to what i'm talking about like earlier on where they don't want any of their main they don't want any of their main characters now and i think that's probably a directive from from the top on on this yeah well i don't like that is is my point (laughs) that's Um, what makes me sort of even more skeptical about the about what you were saying earlier around you know how people survive these brutal these absolutely brutal stabbings it it over time, it it starts to take any sort of suspense and tension out of the, you know, kill sequences if you are, you know, operating under the expectation that, well, no one is actually going to die. It doesn't matter how many times that this person gets stabbed or shot, you know, they're still going to come back. Speaking of which, Scott, uh, we have a returning character as well in the franchise, somebody who was presumed dead in an earlier film, Kirby. Mm-hmm. Uh played by Hayden Panettiere. Again, another sort of fan wish list thing. People have been really clamoring for Kirby to come back in the franchise ever since Scream 4. Um, You know, a lot of people fans of Hayden Panettiere's performance. She is back here. She is now a um, FBI agent. Um, Ex-FBI agent. Yeah, yeah. We learned some things about her that, you know, this was another sort of twist that I liked. That for there's a there's a little stretch towards the end of the movie where you think maybe she's actually the killer, right? Like she's, um, you know, she wants wants payback for being dragged into this whole. That thing. is one thing that they have not done yet, right? That they need that they need to do eventually is that one of the victims needs to become the killer. Yeah, am I right in saying that hasn't happened? Well, yet? I, well, I mean, you know, again in this movie, like. Um, Quinn is one of the killers and is like, well, well I mean, no, I guess I'm talking about really past big. movies. I'm talking about from, yeah, pa- from yeah, a past movie. Yeah. He's like actually been traumatized by Ghostface. Yeah, no, they have not done that. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, that, that could be, that could be something, but it, that, I liked the way that they, they had that twist there. You do genuinely think it's her for a minute. I thought Hayden Pantier was great. Definitely one of the best supporting performances in the movie. Um, I like, um, you know some of her like connection with Sam and Tara, and like again as a, as a past victim of Ghostface, I thought that was I thought she she was a nice sort of almost Sydney like stand in in this movie. Um, sure. So I did like what they did with that character. I did like her performance. Do you have any thoughts on on Kirby's return? I thought she was fine. Look, all I'll say is that I I don't know why she's chosen to stop acting in the last like five to ten years very much. But I kind of feel like you see why in the film, like she's not really on the same level as like she this is like, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is like a rude, a rude take, but she feels like a broadcast TV actress, which is exactly what she was on Heroes or whatever. Um, like it. feels. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't get that, but yeah, I don't think I don't think she's that good. I think she, I think she's like about on the same level as like someone like a Melissa Barrera in this movie, um, like just doing something different. Like she's just doing something different in the film. Doesn't feel like it syncs up with. What, what I see in a lot of the core four. Obviously, my take's going to be a little bit different because I haven't seen Scream 4. I don't feel any yeah. attachment to the character. I'm not super familiar with anything that Hayden Panettiere has done in a decade, mainly because she hasn't done very much. 
But like, I, I, I don't know. I just I didn't feel that much for this character. It, I actually thought it was interesting that. I mean, this I guess this is the point they wanted me to think, and this is part of me not having seen Scream 2, right? But like, I was like, oh, when she's the villain at the end, I'm like, I was actually thinking this too. And then obviously they're leading you down that path with breadcrumbs earlier on. But I was like, this makes sense to me. And I think this is an interesting take that someone who was traumatized by Ghostface in the past is sort of done this sort of 180 where now they're terrorizing people as well. Didn't play out that way. Obviously, I would I fell victim to to the, that plot twist, so to speak. And I thought that would have been that would have to me, that would have made her performance make more sense. But the fact that she wasn't that now made me wonder, like, well, why was she acting so weird in all these other scenes? Um, that's this kind of how I felt. I liked her performance, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe some of that's carryover from Scream 4. It could um, be. I thought she was one of the better members of the ensemble. We also haven't mentioned Dermot Mulroney, who plays, yeah. you know, yeah. the mastermind. He is the the rogue cop um, who turns Jigsaw. out to have been the father of, uh, of Richie, Richie, of... Yeah. Of uh, Jack Quaid's character from the first movie. All I gotta um, say, I gotta know, ask like, this question. I gotta ask this question, Scott. I mean, I know every, I know everything about Richie and this whole family is like a long con or whatever. But like, did she, did Sam not know about her? This guy's dad, like the guy she was dating for like six months to a year's dad. Like, I know that that was just this massive long con about their relationship or whatever. But I was like, man, this shit's deep. <laughs> like, they are deep yeah. undercover on this stuff. I- I'd have to go back and watch Scream 5 again. I don't know if there's any what what sort of, you know, discussion there is of their relationship and like how they met, you know, how long they've been together, that sort of thing. Because, right. yes, I would agree with you in, in that respect that it is a bit of a plot hole. Um, I also like was a little like, you know, again, there's this whole setup of Sam being suspected as being involved with, you know, everything that happened in the previous movie. Like she, her being the ultimate mastermind behind all of it, mm-hmm. and then the killings start happening in New York, and she is like suspected, and even you know the detective and Kirby start like turning. I don't, I don't understand how there's any sort of logic to suspecting her of what's going on in New York, like whatsoever. Like she is very clearly like the the um, convenience store thing, like the the convenience store showdown that happens like she is very clearly like one of the victims there of ghostface like you know being she and tara are being pursued by ghostface and there's video and there's video cameras in the store that would prove that they're not the ones right yeah but it seems like the detectives themselves now i understand like you know the social media mob is coming after her whatever they would they wouldn't necessarily care about the facts of the whole situation but like yeah you know for the detective and kirby to be doing this well, well, Kirby you know. doesn't believe. I mean, Kirby doesn't think that it's her. Well, it's it's at first it's a little bit ambiguous whether she does or not. Um, and the detective is obviously trying to covering project up, blame onto her because he's yes, yes. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. In the moment, maybe if I went back and watched it, it wouldn't be as bad. Now that I know what I know, but um, in the moment, it seemed like there's really no logical reason to suspect Sam at all of these particular killings like it it does not add up like that that she would be in the ghost face suit like it's just not possible yeah i mean yes definitely not i don't he gets it's a pretty pre- I mean, arranged at yeah. the end end of this movie too uh in the you know the final showdown that we have in like the you know sort of scream hall of fame 
type uh you know location that we have at the end like theater um with all this sort of memorabilia from the past scream films Um, yeah richie was richie was a real sicko sicko. yeah i was about to say the same thing it's like full sicko richie collecting his 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 well um, yeah his stab franchise things i meant uh dermot mulroney is going going off yeah i i like it he leaned in he uh it was it was good i i I liked the over the topness of it. Uh, I got to say too, he's, he's a good shot. I mean, he is like headshotting those mannequins. He got like three mm-hmm. or four of them. Yeah. Um, you know, he just didn't look behind him. What, what is he doing here? The turn around, dude, all the spaces behind you. Uh, Scott, before we, we conclude, let's talk about some of the, the kills real quick. Cause I, I don't know if we've necessarily hit on all of them, but we, we sure definitely have haven't not. mentioned yeah. at all the cold open. Uh-huh. of the movie yeah um double, and double or even to, triple kill in the cold open 10 seconds into the movie when they show samara weaving i was yeah. like oh my gosh are you serious like she is going to be the the one who gets killed like i would love to have her be a new character in the franchise obviously she has a relationship with the directors yeah. um having appeared in their first film ready or not you know that that film came out and everyone was like oh yeah samara weaving like she's gonna be she's gonna be a star now and mm-hmm. like she has not i had hoped for that because she's yeah. great in that movie she has not it's not panned out for her i mean we, she was in babylon and like, i mean for, for like 30 her, seconds her, in babylon well well that's what i'm saying her whole character in babylon is that she gets the the spotlight completely stolen from her by by nelly by margot right. robbie's character right. um which is just feels like a waste I mean, you know, again, it's clearly maybe for in this movie, it's the case of like, oh, the director's calling in a favor or whatever, like, hey, come be in the, the cold open of this, just sort of a fun wink um, and not intended to be anything more than that. But still, I, I want I want better for her. And I did groan a little bit and I realized because I've seen all of the screen movies, you know, multiple times. So I know, you know, you see somebody, you see a famous actress or actor in the opening sequence, they're not going to get out of the sequence. Indeed, what happens, you know, we have a nice sort of sequence where she believes that she's meeting like somebody for a date um, and he's late. He ends up like, you know, enticing her out into this alley, kills her. Turns out it's Tony Revolori in a ghost face costume. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then he, he and somebody else have conspired together to, they're going after Sam and Tara also. But um, he's a student at the the college, it seems as well. Um, yep. Well, he is because they directly reference it. But um, and he and somebody else have plotted to to kill Sam and Tara, and like he basically kills Samara Weaving as like a practice run. Um, yeah. But then you know he gets back to his apartment or whatever. He finds out that his partner is like dead now, and the the real other ghost face. <laughs> shows up, kills him. And so that, you know, that deals with both of them. But um, yeah. like you said, triple kill in the opening scene. Did you like it? Did you think it was fun? I did. I, li- I like the twist that there was like two, there was two parts to the cold open. I, I liked that twist yeah. a lot. Obviously, I enjoy Samara Weaving, although we haven't seen her enough. Just a quick correction. I don't believe Ready or Not was their first film. I think Devils do. Oh, okay. Might have been their first film. Um, what, what what was the film? Devils Do, um, a psychological supernatural horror film from 2014, according to the Wikipedia page. Huh, okay, like. haven't heard of it, but yeah, fair enough. Their breakthrough film, certainly. Yeah, certainly, certainly is their breakthrough film. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I absolutely liked it. You know, 
um, as obvious as obviously on the nose as it is as a joke. It is very funny to see this film studies professor who knows all the rules of horror films then proceed to break all of them. And I did I did like it, too, because like it's actually like tethered to the 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 rest of the world. Like generally these opening sequences are like completely, you know, isolated from the rest of the characters, the rest of what's going on. It's just like a, you know, self-contained type of sequence. You know, again, it's the usually first in movie we have. Yeah. Yeah. The, the first movie we have Drew Barrymore getting, I, I guess, Scream 5 we do have. I mean, it is Jenna Ortega who is in the opening, opening sequence. But, you know, Drew Barrymore, um, you know, getting... Um, getting killed and then they just like reference like oh hey you know she went to our school or whatever but like you know she's not more of a character it's the inciting incident for yeah the school being shut down or whatever the next day but right yeah and scream 2 you know the killing in the movie theater omar epps and jada pinkett smith you know they don't have anything to do with the other characters but like literally in this sequence like tony revelori has killed tomorrow weaving he's like walking back to his dorm and he runs into jen ortega and like they have a conversation um so like you see like them having a relationship so you you know you start to like think maybe hey this is gonna maybe they're trying like kind of doing something a little different here with the cold open um and they are but you know not exactly in the way that that you necessarily think because they do kill off these characters before the the opening is over but um yeah i thought it was good too um other than the samara weaving thing being you know frustrating and to some degree yeah Um, one of the other unrelated kills scott calling in favors from actors you've worked with in the past henry cherney who was also in ready or not yeah um Mm -hmm. oof man he's not good he's not good in this movie and uh he gets he gets a brutal ham ended up you know he's having fun you know same way that dermot moroni is but yeah sure yeah i i i thought dermot moroni's performance was better than this though is what i'll say I thought yeah, that yeah, this was he's this more was, of a character. I mean, yeah. Sure, sure. That's fair. He's more of a character. I, I, I thought that like the the therapists, the the way his character was written was borderline offensive. Honestly, like what an awful therapist, like, tr- like what a truly terrible therapist. Yeah, like he's going to go to turn her into the police. Like he doesn't make he had any sense. Problem. Doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and then he gets stabbed. They say through the nose. Well, it, it didn't look like it went through his nose, but whatever. Um, he had a he had a tough end. But it was it was brief, I guess. Yeah. Um, and we also have to mention too, Scott, that um Mindy's girlfriend, whatever her name is, I can't yes. even remember, but uh, uh Annika. Yeah, I have to say, Scott, it was a good scene, but it has been done before, it has been done better. Sure. Um you would be forgiven for not knowing because this film unfortunately came and went, even though it's an underrated gem, but nerve from 2016 the uh, Dave Franco, Emma Roberts vehicle um, about um, teenagers who get involved with this deadly online game where they have to do these, you know, dares for money, basically. Has, in my opinion, a better sequence in which a character is, you know, has to horizontally scale a ladder between windows, basically, while, you know, suspended very high above the air, Um, Mm -hmm. which is what ends up happening with, um, you know, with, Mindy's girlfriend in this movie and of course you know she gets like halfway down the ladder Ghostface shows up on the other side and he's like banging the ladder on the side of the window uh, why don't they just push the ladder off the window I was really confused by that yeah I don't maybe because like they were holding it like you know 
firmly on the other yeah. end so like he couldn't do Maybe. that like that was the the most leverage he could get on it or something but i um, guess so but like she, anyway. he also like f- tries to like flip the ladder over in the end basically to like toss her off yeah. so how do you do that if you can i mean it, it doesn't it doesn't matter it doesn't really i mean obviously i haven't seen nerve that doesn't that so that didn't have an effect on me i'm gonna say scott if we want to get particular i'm sure there is some movie who's done most of what we saw in this film before yeah and they may have done it better. They may not. But like, whatever. We can have we can have good things in general. I enjoyed this. Scene. I just I I love I love Nerve. I think it's underrated, and I think like sure. that sequence is definitely like maybe the most memorable scene in the movie. So I immediately thought of it. and I was like, oh, they're actually yeah. going to do this. Also funny That's because fair. Ember Roberts was in the Scream franchise. But um, yeah, she face plants on the freaking dumpster like Oof. on her way down. It's pretty brutal. But, um, but yeah, I'm very All curious right, Scott, what uh, what body got hot swapped in for Quinn. Because, you know, Dermot Mulroney yeah, talking yeah. about how he, like, got there first and swapped a body. I'm like, bro, how do you swap a body? What does that yeah, even mean? Some of, <laughs> some of that, uh, you know, description, like, the description of how, how it was all done is kind of like, don't worry. It's kind of like they're just saying, don't worry about it, right? Like, the point I mean, that is, is, that is what you're he, saying. They're here now. <laughs> they're back. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Very much alive. The subway scene was great. We talked, I talked about it briefly. That was yes. one of my I mean, I guess I'm. That's kind of. My, I mean, that probably is my favorite. That's scene the, the best, best like yeah. set piece for sure in the movie. As someone who rides the one train very often, um, authentic. Um, with that, Scott, we can move into our favorite scene or moment. Is that your favorite scene? It, it is. I, I mean, look, I it's so much my favorite scene that I complained that I knew about it existing before, uh, before I saw the film. But you're right. They they did drag that out, that scene out much further. Than they had in the trailer, of course. It's it's multiple minutes as opposed to twenty to thirty seconds, like you described. And it wasn't clear in the trailer, but they're in different cars, they're on different trains, um, the two different groups of characters. And yeah, the tension's great. It, it sort of also just highlights the sort of brutal level of violence in the film, even though this is this isn't particularly one of the most gory or gruesome. It's not even a kill, I guess, technically, but like um assaults in the film. But I do think like the sort of how close and in her face Ghostface is in this while she, you know, he stabs her pretty brutally in the abdomen multiple times, um, presumably killing her, but then not, is pretty crazy. Also, nuts. Nuts that no one on this train has seen this. Like, pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know people don't pay attention on the subway and, like, actively try to ignore other people it, around them, but just an Halloween, insane level of you ignorance. Know, it's Halloween. They're headed to parties, but, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. They sure were. I'm with you. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I guess that's probably my favorite scene as well. I did like the final showdown as well. Again, you know, sort of in the the shrine where they're they're making you think it's Kirby for a minute, and then you know, it seems just not. too long. It's just too long, Scott. That's the only problem. It is a little me. bit. I, I yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, but yeah, uh, the, and the convenience store is also good. Like yeah. I, I like like the simple location of that. Like you know, it's a it's a very straightforward, like, but well-executed set piece. Yeah. Um, also, can I talk about the guy behind the counter with the shotgun originally? What's he doing? Yeah. Just take the shot, man. What What are you waiting for? Take the shot. Um. So that that sequence was good. Um. Yeah. Let's put a score on it, Scott. What do you give Scream Six? Where would you rank it in in respect to the other three, other two Scream films? Ooh. Great question. Um, I'm going to give it a 6.8. I don't know where that actually ranks on in terms of scores that I've given other movies. Yeah. I'd say it's like pretty comparable to Scream 5 in terms of my level of enjoyment. Maybe slightly below. 
I, I don't know. I, I have to think about it a little bit more. I did. I did see this very like I saw this movie this morning as the, as of recording or this afternoon, I guess I should say as of recording. So it's pretty fresh. And frankly, Scott, I think this might say a little bit about Scream 5. I've forgotten most of what happens in that film um, besides Dewey dying in the hospital. I've, I've honestly I've forgotten most of what happens in that movie. So it's probably around that level. And yeah, I'd have to think about it a little bit more. I enjoyed it. it though. I want to highlight, guys. I en- I enjoyed this movie. I had a good time watching it. Yeah, I'm actually going to give it the same score, six point eight. I think um, it's it's a fun horror movie. As a scream movie, I'm not sure it succeeds in a lot of what it's trying to do. Sure. Um, and I do have some questions about where they go from here. Uh, but you know, maybe all will be resolved in the next movie. I still had a fun time with it. I enjoy all the scream movies. I'll definitely be looking forward to the next one whenever it comes out i would put it second bottom though just above uh above scream three um but below the rest yeah. all right scott that'll conclude our review of scream six uh when we come back we're gonna have a few news items uh just some casting news as well as some possible news about quentin tarantino's next and maybe final film so stay tuned this episode of some like it scott scott we haven't talked news in a while it feels like or we've been it's been saturated by awards talk yeah yeah, Um, yeah. but award season is officially over and so we can talk more about you know movies and casting news and stuff that are coming up in the future and you i know want to talk about one such movie i don't know if we have mentioned uh the gladiator sequel at all in the past uh, that ridley scott is working on but um it is you know it is well into production now and we have some casting news yeah i i don't remember if we have talked about this because it might have been during the run of of shows where we weren't we were doing award yeah. shows or we were doing top tens or whatever but we have heard in since the start of the year that paul mescal will be starring in ridley scott's gladiator sequel and obviously a huge piece of casting news happening during a time period where Paul Meskel has nom- you know, received an Oscar nomination for his performance in After Sun. He's becoming a critically well, pretty like very strongly received actor and seems like he's going to be getting a sort of, I guess, almost like um, profile bump from being in a, a movie of the sort of cultural significance of a sequel to Gladiator from a director like Ridley Scott. I mean, I guess you could argue Ridley Scott's relevance has faded a bit culturally. I mean, his last couple movies have been absolute bombs at the box office. I don't even think House of Gucci did that well, and certainly The Last Duel didn't. But I think it, a, a movie like the sequel with Gladiator is going to be a bigger deal. What you know, whether it re- makes returns at the box office, I guess, is a question mark that will come to pass. But obviously, a huge deal for him. And we did find out this past week, which is the new news that you were alluding to, that Barry Keegan, another person who was nominated for an Oscar this past year for his role in the Banshees of Inisherin will likely be starring opposite him. I don't know if that means he's like, I don't know. Is it, is it Nero? The is villain? he the, is he the Roman emperor in the first 
in the first gladiator? No, no. Uh, you mean Joaquin Phoenix? Commodus is Commodus. That's right, Commodus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know if he's going to be like the Commodus-like character and like the be a villain of some sort, or if he's going to be some. He, he is in fact playing someone named Emperor Geta Scott. So. Okay, gotcha. So that is what that is what's going Make on. Make of there. that what you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. So it seems like he's going to be in the film playing some some sort of it seems like antagonist or villain type role of some sort. Maybe not. Maybe they're maybe they're turning that on its head a little bit. I don't know. And then Denzel Washington, also even more recently than Barry Keegan, it, we learned that he'll be in the film as a sort of mentor. It sounds like for Paul Maskell's character, training him up, um, presumably to be a gladiator. So you have sort of this this on one side of the equation to up and coming very critically adored actors and Paul Meskel and Barry Keegan, <laughs> maybe Barry Keegan with a little bit more experience under his belt, at least in, in, on the indie film circuit, at least he's been around for, you know, almost, I guess seven, eight years now since killing of a sacred deer. Was that 2016? I think, I don't know. It's been a while that Barry Keegan sort of been around doing smaller films, getting that boost. Paul Meskel obviously had a big hit in 2020 growing popularity. And then they're also going to be shepherded along. It seems like by Denzel. I mean, one of the most legendary actors, ever period um you know received an oscar nomination as recently as what, last year for tragedy of macbeth and has won how many oscars scott two or three two, two. yeah so this this cast is getting pretty stacked pretty quickly um and I'm, I'm very i mean frankly i'm just very excited for it i am a huge fan of the first gladiator film never really thought we'd get a sequel to it wasn't super thrilled by the idea of a sequel to it, to be honest. I didn't really understand why it mattered or why it made sense at all. But it seems like the direction they're going is something that's like, it's almost like an, I, I hate the mere uttering of these words, Scott, and I apologize in advance, but like, it seems like an in-universe sequel that like may or may not like actually be a sequel to the yeah, first movie. Like, and it's just, it's just, it's just, it's like, a, it's like a branding exercise for the film to make it relevant almost yeah. is what it feels I like. I can't imagine it's going to be that connected to the first film, but yeah, um, we'll see. But the point is, I think it's very exciting. I think I, I it sucked that Ridley Scott got pretty overlooked. I feel like a couple of years ago, and you know, they aren't his. You know, those two movies weren't my weren't my favorite of his films. But the scorn I think that they received, uh, or the sort of lack of attention that they that they received, didn't also didn't totally make sense to me. Um, you know, I don't think that's too much revisionist history. I know I wasn't super positive on either of those films in terms of end of year rankings or uh star reviews but i still felt like they were films worth talking about at least at least in the form of the last duel but overall um excited about this one i, I guess it seems like is this this isn't going to be done by this year so i guess it's like a 2024 movie probably yes yes definitely yeah. um let, let's call the world it is scott i feel like this is going to be just be like a creed movie with gladiators like you know you have like you think so the, okay I mean, again, it, bringing in Denzel Washington as like the the Rocky character, like the you know who's going to sure. train him up, like yeah. that's immediately what I think of, of course. Um, yeah, it's just it's, it's, just, it's just like a Paul Mescal like dragging, I don't know, like chained boulders through the sand through the yeah. desert, or <laughs> that's going to be the training montage. Yeah, I, I do wonder what the approach is that they'll choose with this movie because. Um, you know, the original is a three-hour historical epic. Like, yeah. it, it's really not that much of an action movie. It really honestly isn't. Like, it has some, some you know... It feels closer to Ben-Hur than, than, like, other stuff. Yeah, or Braveheart, something like that. Like, I mean, sure. it won Best Picture. It won, It was the Best Picture-winning film, um, sure. Gladiator was. 
Um, it's only two and a half hours. Like, also, it's only two and a half hours. It's not three okay. hours, but yeah. Brave, Braveheart's three hours, whatever. Um, yeah. Braveheart's long as hell. It, the point is, it doesn't feel like that type of movie is marketable anymore. It, case in point, The Last Duel, right? Like, sure. exact same sort of thing, like, just a couple of years ago. And infamously, the movie was a bomb at the box office. One of the biggest um, bombs of that year. Critically, an excellent film. Um, one of my favorites from that year. But yes, unfortunately, uh, a box office bomb. So, uh, you know, I guess, you know, this does have the added branding, like you said, of, of it being a gladiator movie. But... I do wonder if they are going to want to make this more of like a, you know, action, rip roaring action type Creed movie with more fighting in it, basically, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting cast. I definitely think Barry Keegan is like a great, you know, Joaquin Phoenix like stand in in this movie. Like I could totally see him as like the um, villainous emperor type character. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got those that, crazy eyes. Barry Keegan does. So, yeah. Denzel can do no wrong. And then, yeah, Paul Mescal, Paul Mescal being in this is interesting. Like, you know, so far he's played like some pretty like sensitive, like emotionally interior, very interior yeah, characters. characters yeah. Um, and this is going to be, you know, again, like we're saying, probably more of an action hero type role. Um, so we'll be interesting to see him try on that hat whenever this whenever this movie does come along. But obviously exciting. You have three, you know, great actors in there and Ridley Scott, you know, still cooking, I believe, even at his advanced age. Scott, speaking of someone who is, uh, you know, cooking while cooking still at an being, advanced age, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, while still be while being deep into their filmmaker, Quentin Tarantino, um, you know, a legendary filmmaker at this point. Every time he makes a film, it is an event. Uh, yeah. For many years now, it, he has talked about how he is only going to make ten films, Scott. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his last movie in 2019 was his uh, ninth film. Um, the Kill Bill films are considered to be one movie by him. So it is his ninth film, um, which means, you know, if he is to stick to his philosophy, he has one film left in the tank. There's been speculation again for years about what this film would be. At one point, it was going to be a Star Trek movie um, that was discussed. Um, but maybe that, that wouldn't no count one. because it's not an original film. So, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem like that's on the table any longer we it sounds like he is at work um on that 10th film which he is claiming to be his final film um it is called the movie critic scott um obviously you know tarantino we know his love for movies he has a podcast right now in fact uh with him and roger avery just talking about like random obscure like genre movies from like the video store days i mean he he that's how he got his start was as a video store clerk. And like, that's how he learned about all these movies. And then, you know, became the legendary director that he is. Um, so maybe he's sort of going back to his roots here, it seems, um, and sort of where it all started by telling a story about a, a film critic, right? Which, you know, again, film criticism and all of that was probably, um, I mean, he's definitely a student of all that. He's been very vocal about that. It probably inspired his filmmaking career too. So, Maybe this is just, you know, we're, we're, I'm re we're speculating a lot from just the title, which is really all we know. Um, we do know that it's kind of a female lead as well. Um, but there's all, maybe there's this been all is these casting rumors about Leonardo DiCaprio and other yeah. people being in the film. Right. Am I making that up? There, there's been rumors about that, hasn't there? 
I think so, yeah. But um, it is going to have a female lead, like I said. But yeah, and maybe you know, just just from the title again, what we and what we know about Tarantino, maybe this is sort of like a you know a Twilight. This is Malcolm and Marie film. Uh, no, um, this is like a you know, hey, this is kind of like the culmination of of my career. I'm gonna you know put it in this film into one last sort of love letter to movies. Um, you know, again, it's going to have a female lead. We do know that. Um, so many people have speculated that this is going to be like a Pauline Kael s figure, you know, Pauline Kael being the um, legendary film critic for the New York Times for many years. Um, again, someone who I imagine Tarantino. Um, it's got to be set in Hollywood, though, right? She's like, surely this is going to be set in Hollywood, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't necessarily expect it to be about Pauline Kael, although, you know, you would you know, you wouldn't put it past Tarantino because he has done the historical revisionism thing. In Speaking of the historical revisionism, Scott, is Margot Robbie going to appear as Sharon Tate in this movie? <laughs> yes or no? I, I wouldn't put it past him, but, um, you know, he does have his little, like, callbacks to other things, like red apple cigarettes and all that stuff, like, that are appearing multiple times throughout, um, you know, his various movies, his his universe, so to speak. But, um, but yeah, um, you know, uh, people have said this is going to be about Pauline Kael or a Pauline Kael type figure. Um, as, as people are already saying as well, um, you know, this is probably going to be the film, which finally breaks film Twitter. Um, if that is indeed <laughs> like what it, what it is about when you consider how asinine some of the takes were when once upon a time in Hollywood came out, like genuinely one of the worst, like take cycles ever in terms of, you know, uh, a recent film, uh, on social media, like just people, making up whatever reason they could to, you know, say that the film was problematic. Um, but worse than yeah, liquor's it, pizza, it, you say? Okay. Yeah, I think it's worse than that. Um, just, you know, just completely bad faith type reading stuff. Sure. But, um, anyway, uh, discourse aside, obviously, again, it goes without saying I'm excited you know, for a Quentin Tarantino movie, it will be number one of on my most anticipated list. I'm sure whenever this film is um, slated to release, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was my number one from 2019, most anticipated. He's my second favorite director of all time. And if this is indeed his last film, um, I imagine it's going to be one for the ages. Scott, any thoughts on this? I mean, yeah, it's exciting. I was a huge fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um I think it was in my top 10 movies that year. I think it was in both of our top 10 lists, of course. Yeah. And let him cook. That's all I'm going to say. Let him cook. I hope I hope he does get Leo. Um, I hope he does have. <clears throat> wow. Voice is really going in this episode. I really hope that he does have, you know, brings back it. Maybe his, you know, best of from his time making films. If it is going to be his last movie, like getting Jamie Foxx and getting Leo. And he, he, I'm talking about supporting. I'm not talking about lead roles, things like that. Like just. Making like getting them into the movie if it's going to be his last one seems like these people love. I mean, I guess I don't know if that's true. I don't know if Jamie Foxx loved working with him. I assume that people who work with Quentin Tarantino like Quentin Tarantino because he has such a strong personality. I'd assume they choose they wouldn't work with him otherwise. But I hope that he gets in his sort of his greatest hits in there. And you know, I don't think I've ever watched a Tarantino film that I haven't really enjoyed my time with. Yeah, I wonder. I, my my other question would be, I wonder what like veteran actor he is going to try to like get an oscar and like the supporting role uh of this movie because that definitely seems like something that that he would try to do um yeah here. but i think his name yeah, i mean i'd love to 
I'd obviously see DiCaprio. I would love to yeah. see DiCaprio show up. I mean, again, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the best performance of DiCaprio's career. So um, it's a yeah, high bar. He, he and Tarantino work together really well. Obviously, they work together in Django Unchained as well. Very memorable character that he plays there, too. So, um, yeah, that would be great. Um, whoever, you know, I'm, I'm excited for whoever he casts in the Pauline Kale role, too, because, um, you know, it uh, it feels like there are many, many options as far as, like, young female stars go right now who could potentially play the role. You know, some people have mentioned Margaret Qualley, right, who appeared in sure. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as one of the Manson. Um, Got to get Austin Butler Manson back. Manson girls. Um, sure, yeah. Uh, but maybe she would have sort of the right, because she has a, a very sort of unique off-kilter energy to the way that she, um, you know, is, acts on screen. Maybe she would be the right for this sort of quirky movie critic role. We'll see. But um, I think he has a lot of options. He usually does a great job with his female characters and and the casting and everything. So um, I think it could be could be awesome. Probably will be awesome. Let's be honest. So he's only made one film that I'm like not really that crazy about. So um, which is sorry, which one? The Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight. I'm not the huge fan of, but haven't um, seen that one. Otherwise, you know, tons of masterpieces in there and. I hope that the you. movie critic is one too. Any uh, any final thoughts, Scott? Before we wrap up, uh, look, I believe it. Before you know, we have seen Scream Six. It's not a blockbuster, although it's. I mean, it's sort of the rare mid-budget film that we talk about on the podcast. I mean, obviously, a lot of horror franchises are small budget. This is not. This was thirty thirty-five million dollars that we talked about today in terms of budget. It made that back easily in the first weekend, let alone the second weekend, which still is performing very strongly, it seems like. I think ahead of us, we are entering blockbuster season. And dare I say, it looks like it'll be a good blockbuster year. So I'm excited for John Wick 4. I probably am more excited than you about Dungeons and Dragons. That's okay. We can all come to the table on Dungeons and Dragons and hope for hope for a good time. Um, you know, it'll be a little bit of a break between that and, oh, you know, great pictures like The Little Mermaid that are on our list for later this year. You're really selling me here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you skip over all the other stuff, then you get to July. I mean, I, I was really thinking about the next few weeks and July. Stuff, it's be You're good. right. Okay. Yeah. I've talked myself out of it. Scott. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm excited for the next few weeks. And then I'm excited for July in which we July have a run, of, good. a run of movies that includes Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Oppenheimer and Barbie. Um, so, you know, we, we could really do worse, I'd say. Got on the on the Scream Six point, I think you know we talked about it even as recently, maybe as when we reviewed Megan. But like horror movies are like seemingly the only type of you know superhero original TV, yeah. movies nowadays. Like that, and and you know Scream obviously is a franchise, but like these are these are the you know non like you know comic book movies, right? That can actually yeah. do numbers at the box office you know megan did quite well as um as i was saying there you go back to last year like barbarian was was a surprise hit um you know yeah for it for its budget to be fair but yeah yeah, yeah. i would say smile uh, smile was the bigger hit from last year in terms of yeah smile was is, has been like yeah that's a yeah. good point smile has been like a massive hit like worldwide oh yeah also Especially also now. a paramount picture as well so paramount's really doing well I mean, Halloween, I know that's also a franchise. I understand. Yeah. That did very well as well. Sure. Yeah. But anyway, the point is horror movies, they got the, they still have the juice. You get, you know, the right, um, right. It's an event behind that. Yeah. You get an interesting premise 
and uh and you know you could really get something here and that's cool to see right because a lot of directors like get their start in horror um like, i also think know, it's, it's an audience thing right like i feel like the older audiences who showed up for the like for the prestige dramas that are bombing at the box office they just don't care anymore they don't care yeah. to come back to the theater it seems like in the at least in the way that they were before and they are they have learned through I'd imagine repetition that those films will come to streaming and there's no real urgency to go out and see them. And they are okay with seeing them 45 days later, 90 days later, whatever it might be. And the people who are more readily going back to the films, I think people who are generally speaking younger, you know, and who are more likely to spread movies via word of mouth, I think are really enjoying those, those sort of, um, you know, those horror pictures that you're outlining. Those feel like events for that demographic. And then obviously there's some, I mean, like the Creed film, I think is also probably younger skewing. If I had to guess, unlike maybe the Rocky franchise as a whole, the Creed movies feel like they skew pretty young because of the stars involved with it. You know, Sylvester Stallone, not even in the most recent Creed film. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very demo skewing. And I'm curious if, and for how long that run will continue because, you know, there's, there's an Exorcist remake coming out later this year. There's, evil, there's an Evil Dead movie coming out in like a week or two. Yeah, the, I, I, I've seen the trailer for that. First off, we'll not be watching that film. That's fine. Not for it doesn't me. look That's good. okay. Yeah. But do I don't know. Are people going to go watch that? It doesn't look interesting to me. It's it, it does like that, that feels like what is what is that? Um, Gosh, what was the one? I forget all the names of all these movies, but there was one last year in October about a woman who like. I don't know, like joined this like church or whatever, and like her father was being experimented on or something like that. Do you know the movie I'm talking about? Like, did that movie do well last year? You that feels about, like, like the, a prayer, a prayer. No, it wasn't. Like, it's something was like it that. Prayer for I, the devil or something like that. It was. Yeah, it, I don't devil. think that was quite it. Pray for the devil. Yeah. I think that's what it was called. Did, did that movie do well? There was also the that, invitation, which also did nothing. Was I mean that feels like Renfield to me, but um. We'll see. I mean, Renfield would be the other one to, to call out, but that's like more of like a comedy, a horror comedy. Which I know is a little bit different, but with IP, um, is I mean, Dracula definitely counts as IP, but I guess it's open source. I don't know. Does Universal own Dracula? I, don't I think, think so. that movie's. I think that movie's going to do pretty well. Honestly, I think that no, that bad. movie definitely. I think that movie will. Yeah, for a variety of reasons, not Evil all Dead, of yeah, because I, it's horror, but Evil Dead does at least have the franchise you know name to it scott which you know has, it has a little franchise stain on it didn't the they make some like to direct to dvd movies in there no am i wrong I'm about that is there a tv sure show there's something that but yeah it's the, not okay so there was ash versus evil dead was a tv okay. show that i yeah. believe bruce campbell was in and yeah. the, the most recent movie i believe was the remake that fetty alvarez did like i don't know probably right. 10 years ago now um but yeah, I mean, again, I don't know whether it will do anything, but it probably has a little bit more juice than like, you know, the Pray for the Devil or whatever that you're mentioning here. That's probably true. It feels closer yeah. to that and than like Megan or Scream or whatever. Yeah. If it, it matters at all, I do, if it matters at all, I do think Sam Raimi produced the movie too. So, um, yeah, do you, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I don't have a good time. I don't feel like people care about who produces a movie, but maybe I'm wrong. If if but if you already have like the Evil Dead Association and like you see that Sam Raimi um, produced it, you might think, oh yeah, this is probably worth seeing. But 
I don't know. Um, we, we will see. The, the point is, you know, the overall point is when I have gone to the theaters the past couple of times on Friday night, it has been as packed as I have seen since, you know, the pandemic happened. And sure. that is a good sign. Hell yeah. All right. That should do it for this episode, Scott, of Some Like It. Scott, where can our listeners find you on social media? At Shelton 2013 And you can find me at Scarby Dent on all platforms. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash media plug pods. Um, Even if you can't support us over there, however, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope that you will be back for our next episode of the podcast. We'll be talking about another sequel, as we have alluded to. Next week, it's the latest in the Keanu Reeves starring assassin franchise, John Wick, Chapter 4. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.